0: This is the Alchemize Your Life podcast. On this episode, we get into how can Buddhists see into the future, and how the rest of us can actually use meditation to achieve such really interesting powers. Hi, I'm Cian Kenshin.
1: And I'm Sophie Ma.
0: And we're here to Alchemize Alchemize Your Life. In this podcast... We show you how to apply the principles of spirituality, prosperity, and sexuality to create true and lasting transformations in your life and business.
1: Join us at the Prism Institute of Quantum Alchemy as we explore the ancient, esoteric teachings of Buddhism, Tantra, Hermetics, and more.
0: As we weave these primal energies together within ourselves, we repair the fractured consciousness of humanity
1: itself. Join us in liberating the world and realizing that the gold is in you.
0: There's a really interesting phenomenon that happens with the brain, and specifically any sort of system that's, uh, re- that has to process information in real time. Um, so, like, just... Imagine yourself as this um, person who is in an environment that um, has tons and tons and billions of signals coming into them at any given time, all the time, right? Little bits of information of sight, sound, touch, taste, smell, entire spheres of information, and we, we, we already know that it's impossible to process all of this at the same time, right? Um, so we have a kind of a hierarchy of information processing that um, allows us to kind of focus on what's important uh, at the conscious level and kind of allow our subconscious to handle the rest and this is this is um, this is most notable uh, in one of the uh, teachings that I have um, which we call the the women in the red dress uh, teaching and so just imagine now you're sitting on a beautiful patio on a wonderful sunny day with a, an, a good friend of yours and there's tons of people walking by and you guys are kind of people watching. And then you get really, really deep and involved in a conversation with each other. And in this conversation, um, you get really, really focused on each other, like just like eyes locked and like going back and forth just fluidly, you know, one of those conversations. And During this level of intensity in the the conversation, you couldn't really say like any of the people who who just walked by, say the last 10 people, you couldn't even likely say what color of shirt they were wearing at all. They're just people walking by. They're kind of in the background. And your eyes are on each other and you're totally focused. But then, let's say... A woman in a red dress walks by, you know, and everyone else is wearing shorts and stuff. And then all of a sudden a woman in a red dress walks by and both of you instantly look, instantly look. How does that happen? Right? Here you are totally focused on each other, not aware of what's going on around you at all. But the interesting thing is that as soon as something interesting walks by, boom, your attention is drawn. Whew. And you both look and appreciate the form. Now, it could be a clown, or it could be a man in a red dress, or, you know, just insert any sort of interesting object that stands out here. The point is not that it's a woman in a red dress, the point is that it's something of interest, something out of the ordinary, something that you appreciate or are afraid of. And these are kind of the conditions that uh, our subconscious uses to determine where to direct our attention. So this is pointing at something that shows a little bit about how we process information, attention and awareness. So attention is what we're focused on each other. And awareness is this bigger sphere, this bigger sphere of all of the information that's coming in where there's some subconscious programs um, in in the basal ganglia, actually. And uh, Sophie calls this the, the RAS or the reticular activating system that is scanning all of the information, looking just pattern matching, really, really rough pattern matching, very quick. It's a very quick algorithm that has been trained that just looks for things that you're interested in, things that you're afraid of, things out of the ordinary, things that are dangerous. And as soon as it sees one of those, it Pull it. Attempts to pull your attention. Now, if your attention is very, very focused, it, it requires a certain magnitude of the thing to pull it. But if you're just lightly attentive to something, anything will will pull your attention. And that's uh, and you know that's also a measure of how um, how concentrated you can become, and how how intent you can have your attention on an object on an object. And this is. This is something that we can train, and this is something that we train in meditation, concentration meditation. If you want to know uh, a little bit more about that, um, I talk at length about it in the Quantum Lab on theprism.org. It's a it's a free course that has a bunch of our free trainings. But today we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about um, something one of our clients was was asking us about. He said. Doing some lucid dreaming training, and this is this is something that we uh, we discuss at length, and uh, we've both done extensive training on um, myself, even going to the point of astral projection at certain points. And one one of the one of the lucid dreaming training um, practices is every time you walk through a door, you stop and you imagine the room that you just walked out of sounds easy right not so easy for some people for many people actually it's uh, it it really takes a lot of practice because in most cases the RAS and the reticular activating system or that thing that's scanning your environment that thing that's scanning your environment is not tuned to trigger off of doors right so doors just pass in the background and when we're in a normal sort of energy state when we have our focus on certain things um we we kind of lose any sort of attention that we have and we go about our day and um just kind of default default patterns. One example was um, this person was in in the bathroom brushing their teeth, looking in the mirror and going, oh, hey, when I leave this room, I should probably do that thing, do that practice, you know, stop in the door and remember the bathroom. Okay, I'm going to do that. First, I'm going to finish brushing my teeth, finishes brushing his teeth. Now, at this point, There's a little bit of a drop in awareness because you go back to a a normal pattern, right? So, oh, I don't need to be actually focused and aware of brushing my teeth. I can simply execute the pattern of brushing my teeth, and then I will notice when I walk through the door. Next thing you know, or next thing this person knows, is they're sitting on their bed in the next room on their phone, scrolling. And then remembering, oh man, ah, I just walked through the door and I intended to stop and imagine the other room, but now I'm sitting on the bed. How did that happen? It's not like I was gone. I was here when I walked through the door and walked to the bed and lay down on the bed. But what happened there? So this is... A facet of an effect that the Buddhists talk about. And the Buddhists talk about all phenomena having a beginning, a middle, and an end. Now, the beginning of the phenomena of walking through the door would have been, oh, hey, I'm going to walk through the door, and seeing yourself walk through the door. The middle of that would have been actually walking through the door. And the end of it was, oh, hey, I just walked through the door, and I didn't notice it. So all phenomena, everything has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when our nervous system or our brain isn't processing information fast enough, you know, maybe it's just turned itself down temporarily to conserve energy, right? Like we can turn our brains up and we can turn them down. This isn't a judgment on this. This is like when that tool is processing at a slower rate, we don't catch phenomena until the end in most cases. So this goes back to that sort of real-time processing of information, right? So we're walking through the room, through the door, through the room and onto the bed. And the conscious mind doesn't become aware of that entire arc of beginning, middle, end of the phenomena of walking through the door until it's already happened. We're just catching the end of phenomena. And this is how we end up missing things. We always, you know, we always kind of wake up at some point and go, oh geez, how did that happen again? And it 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 really this this is the reason it happens, is like our, our brains are literally shifting into this sort of default operating mode where we're not consciously thinking about what's going on. We're just allowing our subconscious to like the walk us. You know, we set an objective and then we we watch the sim go and walk to the objective. And then we wake up and the next decision's made and we make a decision and then we shift back into this default operating mode and then the subconscious takes over and da. You know, this this is um this dynamic is very, very stark when you try to meditate. I mean, this is why we train in meditation is because it becomes very obvious that this is what's happening. It's less obvious in, in day-to-day life unless you've already meditated quite a bit. In meditation, like the the number one complaint that I have from people is, hey see, you know, like I sit down to meditate and I just can't you know it's just not for me like i it, it just can't do it like as soon as i sit down i just got like my thought like 2 seconds in and like my mind's racing and i'm thinking about like filling the gas in the car and like having to pick up the kids and then dinner and then like my boss getting on my case like As soon as I sit down, like, all of these thoughts start racing through my head. And, you know, like, I I thought you're supposed to, like, sit down and clear your mind and, you know, be still and zen and all this stuff. And I just, I just can't do it. It's not for me. And I'm like, well, you know, it sounds like you're actually doing it pretty well. And I'm like, "Well, well, what do you mean? Well, I mean... The first, the first part of meditation is is actually just noticing that. Hell, oh, hey, it's really busy in here. You know, and that, so so you got that part down. But the the second part, and this is the part that most people don't know, is that when you finally notice, hey, it's kind of busy in here. The the trick is not to like. Judge yourself and go, oh man, damn it. I'm supposed to, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like focus harder, you know, focus on my breath or in a candle or whatever it was. I'm gonna focus harder. And you know, like if you've ever tried that, that doesn't work because it just makes the, the thoughts come back harder, right? So the trick, the real trick to meditation is to really understand what's going on. And so you need to become grateful that oh hey look I noticed I noticed my thoughts are all busy hey woohoo awesome I'm awake I'm awake noticing thoughts instead of just being thoughts isn't that interesting you know because like there's actually if you if you pay attention or you do it enough and then pay attention there's a bit of time between when you um, were last focused on your breath or your candle. And when you actually notice that you were lost in thought, when you actually notice, hey, it's busy in here, there's actually, like, you kind of get, like, lulled into this, like, low-energy state. And lost in thought, as in the thoughts are you. You're just, like, letting they're playing out, and you're not really aware that they're playing out. They're just going. And then you notice, oh, hey, I've been like thinking about all these thoughts. That moment where you notice you've been thinking about all these thoughts, again, is the end of phenomena. You're catching the tail end of the train of thoughts, but it's also the moment that some part of you, some subconscious part of you decided to wake you up. Decided to put you into a higher energy state, decided to bring the conscious mind, the decision-making facility, the reflective capacity back online, the metacognition back online, decided to turn you on. And when you get turned on and you get angry at yourself, really angry at your subconscious, it's like, oh, you don't want to be awake. Got it. Message received, I will not wake you up very often then, only when needed. And this becomes a problem, because then meditation gets harder, and in fact, your entire life gets harder when you start not getting woken up, except when absolutely needed, because you're just running default patterns your entire life. And then you just wonder why everything's a fucking mess. (laughs) And then you start meditating properly, and it starts. you start reinforcing it by being grateful for being woken up. And it's like, oh, okay, so he wants that more. And this starts giving it to you more, more often, and quicker. So the time between falling asleep and waking up gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And, you know, eventually you train long enough, and it can get very, very small. In fact, infinitesimally small, unnoticeably small. And that's a really wonderful place to be. It also requires training because this is a higher energetic state of operating. Your brain needs more fuel in order to operate at the conscious level like that. When you're in that kind of lulled state, you're just scrolling or you're just kind of like shuffling from one room to the other. You know, you don't need much energy to do that. So this subconscious has got it and that is, it's running all the time anyway. So, you know, might as well let it take all the energy and, you know, that conscious person, well, we don't need them very often. Right? So it's kind of like going to the gym, right? If you, if you want to be able to help your body lift a couch you, you got to, or, or a fridge, well, that's, maybe that's a better example, uh, you, you probably got to be going to the gym and, like, lifting weights a little bit so that it doesn't strain you so much. Right? So, so, meditation, concentration meditation, the form that I just spoke about, is a way of training the mind to operate in higher energy states more often. And what this does, it actually allows more transparency from the subconscious to the conscious mind. It allows it to transmit more of the signals that are around you the visual, auditory, Etc. Signals that are coming in it allows it it, like you just get more capacity, right? Like you have a neural network. This neural network has capacity, right? It's there's a limitation there. It can only process so much in the conscious part of it at once. But that capacity is expandable, and meditation helps you expand it. And this is why meditation helps so much with uh, lucid dreaming. This specific form of meditation helps with lucid dreaming because as you begin to expand your capacity to process information in real time, you go from catching the end of phenomena more often than not, to catching the middle of phenomena, oh, I'm in the door, to catching the beginning of phenomena, oh, I'm about to walk through the door. right? You start to catch it earlier and earlier and earlier. And this is how the Buddhists can see the future. So there's another aspect to this sort of idea uh, of seeing the future, feeling the future. And it's exemplified by the fact that, um, you know, we, we are all manifestors. And are everything around us that's happening, we're manifesting through subconscious beliefs, patterns, etc. These things are all happening. And, and, you know, if you think about this beginning, middle, end, end of phenomena, it's, it's actually quite literally true, even in just the physical realm, that the subconscious is manifesting you walking through the door, and then you're experiencing it after the fact. So you're, instead of being in real time, you're behind time, right? You're catching things at the after they've happened. If you train enough, you can get into real time where you're catching things in the moment, the timeless now. But there's actually a little bit more available based off of the fact that the subconscious is literally creating the environment that we're in. And that is that there's a piece of our subconscious that's actually... Ahead of the physical experience, ahead of real time, so to speak, interacting with all the other subconsciouses and and the sub and the unconscious field, and literally like co creating the moment that's about to happen. And if you can expand your capacity enough that you're in real time and you know it and then keep going, you can start to react to things before they're happening or as they're just about to happen. This is very, very quick. And, you know, like both Sophie and I have experienced this at certain times, generally during meditation retreats and sometimes other times where like you'll literally move to catch something before it even gets knocked over. You know, you'll have such lucidity, such clarity of what's happening, that you notice all of the conditions that are leading up to the thing that's about to happen, and you like interrupt it. Now, just imagine what you could do with that sort of sort of thing. You know, if 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 just even behaving in real time isn't enough for you, just imagine what you can do with that kind of like immediate predictive capacity. You know, like you would potentially drive a car your whole life without ever having been in an accident, regardless of whose fault it is. Yeah, that, there's another interesting aspect of this. The Heart Math Institute um, did some research on on this this sort of effect, and they found that not only is it trainable, but that we all have this innate capacity. It's, it's like built in, but that we don't like the conscious mind's just not tapped into it. That it's, it's, it's happening all the time. Like our, our subconscious is literally tapped into the immediate future all the time, but that, that information There's not enough room for it to make it to the conscious mind. There's not enough capacity for it, never mind the real time, the the future time. Just forget about it, right? And so what they did is they took thousands of people, all walks of life, trained, not trained, all sorts of different cultures, all sorts of different religions, ages, everything. And they, they put them into a room... Hooked them up to heart rate variability monitor, ECG, KG, all of these things, measuring, you know, the, the, uh, conductive capacity of your skin and your eye pupils and all, all of this stuff. And then they started randomly showing them pictures of, you know, just normal things, you know, children and puppy dogs and then like death and then like, you know, like cats and fairies and then like a car crash, you know. And, and they would alternate, you know, how much time they were on the screen, how much time between them. And the computer wouldn't have a preset list that it would randomly choose. They, they coded it specifically so it would randomly choose in the moment the next image. And what they found was very, very high correlation Was that the heart adjusted its HRV, heart rate variability, down in order to offset the soon-to-be adrenal response of the shocking image every single time, up to four seconds before the image was even selected. Isn't that fascinating? That experiment alone, and it's been reproduced all over the world, that experiment alone, I think there's a Netflix documentary you can watch on it, HeartMath, or something like that. That experiment alone proves that our subconscious, i.e. the heart part of our subconscious, is aware of what's about to happen, and actually takes actions to mitigate the impact of negative things to keep you safe. Isn't that interesting? And the only thing between you, your conscious mind, and actually being able to interact with this near future, i.e. manifest better, i.e. potentially like meddle around with it, or even just respond to it consciously, is the real-time or super, I guess that would be super real-time, capacity of your brain to process information as it's coming in. So what that actually means is you, right now, probably have not enough capacity in your conscious neural network to process the information that's coming in in real-time. So it would be um, sub (laughs) sub-real-time capacity. And so the goal of meditation would be to get you up into real-time capacity and then beyond into super real-time capacity so that you can tap into the information that, that your heart's processing and the rest of your subconscious is processing more directly, more consciously, with more awareness and respond to things quicker. Can you imagine how different life could be if, if you could do that more and more and more and more. And so that's, that's a really sort of dive deep dive into this idea of the beginning, the middle, and end of phenomena, and how the Buddhists can see the near future. Now, I have it on good authority. They can see much further than that in, in some cases but that's a different facility. And we'll get into that in another episode.
1: We are so grateful that you decided to hit play on today's episode. If anything in this episode has inspired you or helped you transform your life, make sure to let others know by sharing a review on Spotify or iTunes so we can keep our community growing. We absolutely adore giving away free gifts. Send us a screenshot of your review to theprism.org to receive a special meditation from us as a gift of gratitude. We absolutely cannot wait to connect with you in the next episode. Between now and then, don't forget to visit our website at theprism.org. And remember, the goal is always in you.